0: Everyone and welcome to another edition of the American Scouser TV weekly podcast. I am the host, filling in for Timuchin. I am Gally, coming to you from Western Massachusetts, joined by Paul Bickler. Um, two weeks in a row, Paul, we've been able to have you on, and two weeks in a row, you're coming in here celebrating heavy Detroit Lion victory. So I'm just proud of you that you're able to actually stand upright today at this point
1: yeah i think people don't understand that this is like generational type stuff happening right now (laughs) like so it is pretty pretty wild uh happy to be here uh happy to see it in my lifetime because i didn't think i would
0: i am happy to see it in my lifetime as well brian shelton jumps in uh first comment in tonight evening guys good evening brian um I will remind everyone and any of the other listeners that are tuning in for the first time, uh, if you've never done it before, you can leave comments in the chat. You can acknowledge and it'll share your name. We will go ahead and bring selected comments up onto the screen like this one from Z. Good evening, gents. Good evening, Z. And we will read them, uh, talk a bit about it, and, well, of course, we will smash and Make sure everyone grabs, smashes, and hammers that like button and subscribe. Alan's in from Houston. Uh, good evening, Alan. A little disappointed in you. for comments. You're coming in fourth, Alan. Your job is to come in before we start. Uh, but in all seriousness, we usually start with a weather update from Chicago. But the host isn't here because he is out doing some business work or just playing hooky one or the other because he didn't want to get into the betting match between himself, the 49ers fan, and the co-host, the Lions fan, because we have an NFC Championship game that is going to basically be Bickler versus Tumuchin, no matter how anyone else adds it up. That is how we will all be seeing it. So maybe we'll think of some interesting prop-style bets Uh, If you can think of a good bet that Tumuchin and Bickler can have for the NFC championship game that we could maybe hold them to like wearing a jersey or a stupid outfit or shaving an eyebrow off. Look at all these great ideas Kelly has because his team's out, Um, has been out since week four. But I I think it would be great to share those in the comments and uh, we'll see. So Mr. Bickler, are you excited that Tumuchin isn't here? Or do you wish that he was here to maybe stoke that flame a little bit? Oh, uh, it doesn't matter. There. You're going to
1: come up with all the bad ideas anyway. I'm, I, You know what? Like, here's the thing. If I was to mute you, and I would hate this too, because he's coming up not only against me, who's a degenerate gambler, but also me, who is playing with house money right now. So, like, there's no, there's no winning in that situation.
0: So BJ says, uh, greetings, gentlemen. Got out of trivia tonight, I see. And isn't it just so funny? We have the slide ready to go. And tonight's trivia question is this Paul, would you like to ruin tonight's program by having trivia? No. All right. Paul gets tonight's trivia question right, which means for the first time ever, an analyst on this program got the trivia right two weeks in a row. So there we go. We start a streak. Um, But we are happy to have BJ back um bj comes up with lots of loads of ridiculous useless trivia questions but they are outstanding and i do know that our listeners love them which is why we do them i don't know if they love them because they actually learn things or they love them because they like laughing at bickler and i i'm pretty sure it is the latter so what wasn't a laughing matter um and something that i was not not going to lie i will raise my hand and say i was a little nervous going into this match didn't like the setup of it didn't like the type of opponent it was on the road in their wonky little stadium 1100 hours from anfield um and the weather and everything just seemed like it wasn't going to set up for us here paul before we talk about the lineup and how it went what was your overall mood and kind of temperament going into this match, knowing they hadn't played in a while, and we were really down to a bare-bones side. Yeah, uh, I felt quietly confident
1: and had absolutely no reason to do so, especially considering all the factors that you mentioned. There's every reason in the world why this should have been a classic stumble out of the gate and then get pipped at the final second by Solanke. Like, this is definitely set up for that. I don't know why I felt like, somewhat calm about this maybe it's the fact that I'm just riding this emotional high of sporting events in my life right now <laughs> like but like uh, for some reason like yeah I wasn't I think I had predicted three nil on our show like the week before I just felt like somehow this would end up being comfortable um it did it just took a good 60 minutes for it to happen
0: yeah so let's take a look at how they lined up and um, love to get your thoughts here. Brian Shelton says, I thought it was going to be a lot more scrappy giving Bournemouth's current form. And, you know, for the first 45, I think it sort of was. I don't think Bournemouth ever really got going. I don't think the weather was really helping Bournemouth. I also think that our midfield really did a decent job. But that first 45 minutes was pretty poor on both sides. Um, But let's take a look here. Lineup comes out, and you first see this. Was there really any surprise for you in there? Uh,
1: no, not really. I think, uh, by the way, can we stop putting lineups like this out? Can we stop doing this in numerical order? Like, who made this decision, and why did it happen?
0: Like, I don't know, but like, it started recently, and it's, it's being done all over Europe, and at this point, I'm just used to it to the point where I don't look for it to but, be but in it, any other order other than numerical. Isn't it just wild that somehow there is a
1: decision made out of all the things in world football right now? This is a decision that got made that unilaterally happened. I don't uh, don't get it. Anyway, um, I think the only thing, um, you know, obviously I think the big question mark was who's going to, which one of our nine left-sided attackers is going to play on the right? Like I think that was like the one question going in. Other than that, I I think everything else kind of played out the way that we all thought it would for this one.
0: So when we look at this lineup here, and if we were to start to talk a little bit about the performances and the players, obviously, we'll talk a lot about the second half. Um, I thought the first half was poor all around. I thought that they were kind of like sleepwalking. They didn't really create any chances. Like, normally, we have something to complain about, even when they're not playing great. Like, there was really just really nothing there. Um, So... The way I looked at it, it was like we almost slept. walk through the first forty-five minutes, we were kind of feeling our legs out. The midfield, I thought McAllister was really good in the first half, and I thought Bradley was really good for the you know entirety of the match. Maybe that was a little bit too jaded by basically you know looking at him making his Premier League bow and starting a big match. Do you think this was more down to Bournemouth maybe showing a little bit too much respect? for Liverpool playing a different lineup and taking, not having Semaneo there who has been like their second best attacker. Like what was it? Because that didn't look like the side that had won, you know, that had gotten a result in six out of their last seven. Um, I think it's probably, I think it's a little bit of
1: a lot of things. I I do think that like Liverpool's a tough team to play because I mean, you're going to have to defend like anytime that like, you see 60% of possession like that really takes away what Bournemouth does well, right? They want to play with the ball at their feet. They want to have possession. They want to be in the final third. Um, that's, that's their game. And like, they can set up and defend, but it's not what they do. Well, it's not kind of what they hang their hat on. Um, I think, you know, because the, the first half was just kind of a slugfest and because it was kind of all over the place. I think one of the things I get missed just like across the board was like, how good McAllister was like, and I know that we've given him like a lot of stick about not doing enough. And, and I know that like, we want to give him some leeway because he's playing in a position that's not his best, but I just thought like, I thought he was so obviously the best player on the pitch and I didn't think it was particularly close. And I thought that was like one of those revelations that needed to be had for this, for this Liverpool side. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with upsetting what Bournemouth did through the middle of the pitch.
0: Yeah, he was really, really good. There was one point he picked up a ball right inside uh, the Liverpool half, and I think he basically like didn't even pick his head up. He basically played a ball in like 50-mile-an-hour winds across the entire pitch, and it landed on Darwin's thigh on the run. And Darwin actually brought it down pretty well but almost looked like dumbfounded that he couldn't believe the ball not only got there, but got over the defend the defender's shoulder. Um, it was like a really, really well-played pass, and it was just out of nothing, and it did spring them. And, I mean, nothing came of that opportunity because it was the first half. I thought he was really good. I thought Elliot at times was really good in the first half. You know, it, it spoke volumes when I see Elliott and Jones out there together. And, you know, I know we were having these conversations. I think it was the pre-match show and it might've even come up in our discord channel, uh, during the match where people were like, like, why, why are we so comfortable when Jones and Elliot are there? And I'm like, well, we always talk about how the manager doesn't like players to play within like six months. Cause they don't understand where they're supposed to be. And then we wonder why guys who have been practicing this for three years straight, and are maturing to the point where they're actually understanding it. Um, we'll talk a lot more about the the you know second leg of the League Cup final. Do you think that we might see more of lineups with Jones and Elliott or matches where they're playing together, whether it be from the start or even in crucial minutes because of their actual understanding of this side and how it feels like the attack and the defense is stronger when they're playing in those positions than some of our big money signings that we bought this summer.
1: Yeah, I'm not convinced we'll see a whole lot of them together at the same time. I I do like both of them. I still don't love them in the same midfield, to be perfectly honest. I think that this was a situation where you've got AFCON going out. You've got a lot of bodies out and it probably lent itself to the situation. Um, I, I mean, let's, Like, do I think that if Sobo Sly was fit, he's not starting here? Yeah, I think he probably is, right? Like, so I think it's a combination of injury and AFCON that created this. But I do agree with you. I do think uh, both of those players are supremely underrated across the board by the casual supporter um, in terms of both their performances and their importance to the squad. Um, You know, I think we talked about it last year, just the sheer amount of minutes that Harvey got like is insane. Like in like, I think people don't really realize that because like he get runs of starts here, but he was primarily brought off the bench, but he like, he played in like almost every single fixture, So it's very clear that the manager values, both of them. I I don't know. I don't with as deep as the squad is in the midfield. I don't know that we see them very often together. And, And in my opinion, that's probably
0: probably the best, best for the squad. Sir Z says their work rate is exceptional, and I, I absolutely agree. I think that they offer so much – they offer so different sets of qualities, yet they put in the same amount of effort. And I think Klopp knows the number one thing is he can rely on them, and I think that's probably the most important thing. I You know, we talk about Jones all the time. I think Jones makes more sense from the start because I think he offers you a little bit more and a little bit more balance. And he also does something that until we see McAllister there – We really don't have, which is a left-sided midfielder that can command that area, do a defensive job, and also pop up in the box and create. And it almost feels like he's starting to develop a little bit of an understanding the last couple matches with Darwin, which is big because he's starting to find himself out on the left-hand side, which I know you've been a big proponent of basically since he got here, but especially since we saw a little bit of it last year. I think Harvey offers so much from the bench is that he's actually different and he's so direct and he has an actual goal in him. And I think that's important. And I think it's even more important as Trent finds himself more into the offense. Cause I think you find that when Trent is out there with Harvey, especially with Mo, they have proven that they can create nice little triangles on the right hand side um, when they're afforded that space and, or the tactics are leading that way. So before we Fast forward into talking about the second half. There is something, though, that I did want to ask you about because, you know, we saw two more youngsters in in Bobby Clark and Owen Beck make uh, debuts this weekend, or, yeah, on Sunday yesterday. So what is it about Klopp and his man management, Paul? Real quickly, you know, Where we've seen so many players, I mean, if we think about it now, over the last four or five years, we've literally had six, seven, eight academy players not only make appearances, but put in real shifts and cover during short and even sometimes longer periods. I mean, we saw Tyler Morton literally be the best player on the pitch in a Champions League match in Italy, which is insane in itself, right? Um is that down to the tactics or is it down to the confidence based on how these young men are treated when they're given an opportunity? Oh, I think it's I think it's gotta be confidence
1: for I mean <clears throat> I, I think at that point, like those kids I don't think have soaked up enough experience to like to to be able to say like, okay, I'm gonna go out and like you know, like play this way and that way tactically, right? I think, like, especially when you're getting a debut, you're running off adrenaline and basic instinct and the fundamentals that you've been taught, right? And I think probably the academy is really good at locking in some of these fundamentals in terms of the way that the first first team goes about playing football. But at that level, I think what Klopp really does a really good job of is uh, exposing these kids to lines of sight into the first team. And I think that's like one of those things that kind of gets lost because like the people don't understand that, like the the percentages of making Academy are like, you know, like astronomically low to begin with, but these kids that come out and make first team football are like less than 3%, right. Out of the Academy. So you're talking about like a small percentage of a small percentage. How do these kids continue to develop and try to get there? Well, I think having a first line of sight into the first team gives these kids uh a confidence and an excitement in a and in, in like a purpose in a way that I think can sometimes get lost in academy football.
0: yeah, i I would agree with that. and I also think that when they're called up to start to train with the first team, I don't think they're there like the j v kids that are there to make numbers. like I think they're brought right in. They're expected to perform. They're they're probably scolded even harder when they're in the wrong positions, when they make the wrong runs. What always impresses me is is I feel like sometimes we see these young players or injuries get riddled into smaller clubs or different clubs. And you'll hear about how they have to change playing or do this differently. I mean, Bradley walked right into the pitch yesterday yesterday. And act it like he was Trent going forward in attacking positions. I mean, there was that one spot I made the comment in the post-match where I think Gakpo gets it at the top of the box, and Bradley's making a run into the box. And when Gakpo doesn't square the ball to him, the kid just points down to his left foot. And it's like, like literally, like, why didn't you? Like, he's Mo. And he's like, why didn't you just lay it off? Like, the play was to me. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this is absolutely outstanding. But... what was great was not only did he think to do it because he was in the position and that was the right pass and play for that moment. Cause he knows the tactics, but more importantly, he was confident in himself and Gakpo didn't care. Right. He kind of smiled at him. They, it's almost as if they encourage it that like when you get your shot, yeah. it's your chance to come play our football. Like you are a Liverpool player playing in this first 11 we're going to go out there and do this. We're not just... And I I think it empowers these kids to, to genuinely expand who they are. So Brian Shelton says, I just hope that Bradley isn't another Nico. So I've heard this a few times. And it's not just by Brian. I've heard it by... I actually think I heard it on one of the Anfield rap post-match shows too. And I think it's because we saw flashes in a few different early performances from Nico that made you think... Oh, this is flashy see i always just saw a guy that looked like he was going on the pitch trying to do what trent does because he knew he could attack and that was like his way to show i thought bradley looked a lot more poised a lot more playing within himself he looked more of a liverpool player than i ever saw nico williams look um during his time here but to be honest, if Bradley ends up making 15 appearances for the club and fielding the club 20 something million for a player that wasn't worth it, I'd say Nico Williams probably was a, a net gain positive. What is your stance on how do we slow the supporters down from getting over the top on these players the way we did, you know, say Baschitich last year and he hasn't played well since?
1: uh yeah i mean I, it's always hard right and i think we've always i think we've always said this with these new kids like they come out and they overshoot their means right like they play out of their boots for a couple of games then they sort of have a couple of uh a thunkers and then they sort of settle in the middle right um and that's where we kind of see that regression to the mean i think that typically does happen right um and, and so i want to pump the brakes on the bradley thing but it's super hard to pump the brakes on like I think it's harder to pump the brakes on defensive players because like fullback is where a lot of people come in and break themselves into the first teams. Like that's where uh, it's the easiest position to break in a kid into, from the academy into a first team. And so I think we see a lot of that. Um, I think Bradley, it like probably has more defensive prowess in the shin guard than Nico ever did, you know? And that's just my gut feeling from watching him is he looks like, a foundationally sound traditional fullback, which we haven't seen in quite some time. Um, and so I, I thought he I thought he did great. I'm okay getting overexcited about him because I think this team desperately needs somebody that's reliable to back up Trent. And I think more importantly, this team needs somebody that can push Trent too, you know? And I think Bradley seems like from all intents and purposes, both from his cameo appearances and what we've seen at the academy level, like he seems like a player that can grow
0: into that role on this team. And that's a role this team really needs. And and you don't believe that uh Calvin Ramsey can be that player now that he's back, called back from his loan? Dude, he is he is he's like Davies, where I'm fairly certain he's a hologram. I I I mean I'm at the point now where I I don't know how much worse it could get. Like I would have I, so I saw some people say, "Oh, he's got to go back out on loan somewhere else." And my argument was like absolutely not. You keep him at the club and you make him train, play with the under 23s, train with the first every day and just make a decision between now and the end of the season cuz you got to do something with the player at some point. Um just blew my mind um that he was back uh sir Z says once rabo comes back gomez would be great on the right and i don't disagree with that um i think gomez is playing out of his skin i think he's been outstanding you know arguably might be the best player at the club over the last month most consistent uh it's probably fair to say i just still think there's a lot of football for him to play as the backup to canate and virgil if we want to get where we have to go And as good as it is seeing Joe get starts, he's a better option coming off the bench as your third center back than bringing in Kwanzaa. And I really like the kid. But the other thing is, is at some point soon, hopefully all these players start coming back and we're going to have too many senior players for the number of jerseys we have on any given game day. And it'd be kind of nice to have Joe Gomez on the bench, being able to offer you cover at center back, right back, even left back. Um, so I, I do think, uh, I, d- I do think that the Gomez kind of days of left back experiment will slowly dissipate when Robbo's fit and then will be gone once Simicast is back. Um, where are you on playing Robertson? Would you be extra cautious or because it was an arm injury and, you know, he kept his fitness up the whole time? When he tells you he's comfortable in the physio, so say he goes, does he go right back in for you, Paul? Where are you at with Andy and starting on the left? So let's just say his fitness is completely fine.
1: Uh, I'm doing the clop thing, and I'm probably putting him out there for a 30-minute run out, and then I'm back to putting him in full speed. I mean, you've run the rails off him. He's 29 years old. I think you just use them for what you can get out of them at this point. And I think, like, it's not like there's a ton of depth on this team from a fullback standpoint. In fact, there's really no depth. And so, like, uh, I, I definitely would. I think you're going to need Gomez to fill in that depth for center back purposes down the line here. Uh, I would tip. I would be putting Robertson straight back in. Uh, we're not that far away from talking to him about him being the best left back on the planet.
0: Yeah, I I feel the same way. Um, I'm probably rotating out one of the center backs, in my opinion, this weekend. And I don't know that I'm starting Kwanzaa on the road in a League Cup semi, even though he's been great in the time he's played. And it's probably unfair to him to say that. Um, But we'll talk about a little bit about that in a little bit. Let's get to the second half performance. Um, They come out out of the break. It is clear to me, at least, uh, that Klopp had, you know, not just words to say to him, but a little bit of direction of like, "Hey, if we don't start getting direct and start putting some passes together, it's not like it happens right away. Um, it isn't until after the initial subs occur on the 64th minute, or no, the the first one happens. I'm sorry, in the 49th, right coming out. So you have the great play. Um, the ball comes in. Jones knocks the ball down plays it to to Darwin Darwin or plays it to Jota Jota sets up Darwin Darwin slots it in um really nice build up play right from you know the ball coming in Jones plays the knockdown brings it over to Jota Darwin in classic Darwin fashion can't think and just slots it home past the keeper but just a really really good team goal where is that goal made for you? I mean, Joan, Jones Jones's is, is chest and touch is outstanding. Jota's touch is just, I mean, really nothing Darwin can do there. But is it down to Darwin in this case? Like, where 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 are you giving that credit if you're splitting that one up? We're not doing blame pie. We'll do credit pie, I guess. Yeah, if you're doing a credit pie, I'm probably going like.
1: Thirty-three percent across the board for all three players involved. I mean, you basically screwed across an entire half of field and scoring four touches is pretty, pretty great. I think if I'm gonna, if I'm really gonna highlight anybody, I'll probably highlight Darwin. I mean, we highlight it plenty when he misses, right? And he's yep. the last touch in the attack on one touch to the far post. I mean, can't I, that's what you want? Like that's what you want your striker to do is is be clinical and slot that home. And it's by no means an easy shot coming across. One touch, cross your body. Uh, yeah, it was it was a great goal. But like you said, it was a total total team goal. Um, and those are like, dude, those goals are. I I still watch that one. I think it was Newcastle where he had like thirty four passes and then scored. I still watch that one. Crazy. Yeah, it's an
0: outstanding goal. Um, I I look back on that first goal and. It just felt like it was coming. You could feel it coming. I think you mentioned it in the Discord channel. This feels like it's coming. They had had a few good opportunities. There was some good interchange play. Um, And just the confidence you saw in the way he took the goal was great to see. You know, he, he hadn't been having a bad match up to that point. He had been very active, very lively. You know, granted, the announcer spent a quarter of the match talking about the enigma that is him, yet didn't talk about the other team's striker who's been one of the best strikers in all of the Premier League that basically had two touches and both times it was him touching the ball and then dropping to the ground looking for fouls because he was really marked out of the match completely. But it's just one of those things like, you know, whether Darwin's good, he's going to be talked about or he's bad, he's going to be talked about. I think that is just what we have to kind of expect from him. Um, Sir Z said switching Jota to the right and Diaz back to the left um, changed the game. I think it had something to do with it. I, I still think that they were very much fluent throughout the entire match, and that had a lot to do with it as well. I think the bigger part of it was taking Diaz off the pitch and getting Gakpo on the pitch ultimately is what really changed the game because we get the first goal, but then on the 64th minute, you get Gakpo in for Diaz, gravin on for Elliott, They quickly get uh, the second goal, which is another nice goal. Nunez to Gakpo to to Jota. Jota bangs it in. You know, classic Jota. You knew he was never going to miss it. He's, you know, just a great, great finisher. Um, And then quickly you score the third goal uh, off the Bradley kind of ricochet. And I saw one guy say, that's the lucky, that's how lucky Jota is. So I'll ask you, Paul, as a guy who's a striker, and I I was a kid who once popped up in places I wasn't supposed to be to score goals. Isn't it that Jota is the one of the two or three guys in all of our team and in our entire side who expects that ball to ricochet and bounce back there, which is why he's always the first one? Like There has to be something to the fact that he's always the guy who's a foot shorter than everyone else but still scores headers in the box because he knows where the ball is going to ricochet off. Like there has to be something to all this luck. Yeah.
1: in sports, I think they used to call that like anticipation, but like, I think like, I, I think with Jota, he's got that thing that Dirk had and Dirkout was one of my favorite players because he was never technically the best at anything, but he was so smart. And I think Jota has that thing where he's just so smart and he reads, he reads angles really well. So I think that he just kind of looks at spaces, looks at angles, and like can can really sort of calculate and project where that ball's most likely to land based on who's involved in the positioning of everyone on the pitch. And I mean, that's kind of those classic uh, qualities that you want in a poacher, right? I mean, you remember Jermaine Defoe used to do that? He'd score all those goals. None of them were beautiful, but like so many of them were just knowing where to be. Uh, you know, being at the back post when you're supposed to be there. And like, you know, I think that, I think it's Jota does a lot of that, like um where he has a lot of those classic traits that a poacher would have, but he also can create chances too.
0: So Z he says, Jota is up there with Fowler, Sturge and Torres, the guy should be a sharpshooter. He's just a natural finisher. And I, and I do, I do agree with him. And, and also, you know, that his intelligent and reading of the game is immense. And I do think that that is seen on the player. And I think that you kind of can feel it when he's out there. And I, we've said it before. I think that's what kind of hurts him sometimes when everyone's fit is why he often will come and be instituted from the bench is that he can genuinely change a match in 10 or 15 minutes where some of our players need 20, 30 minutes to get going and really need that extra time on the pitch and touches to get going. And I think that he can change it and he changes it from multiple positions. And he allows us to change the way we play because he is so intelligent. And because ultimately sometimes they just wind him up and say, go score a goal. And he just kind of gets out there and winds up defenders and then scores a goal. So the fourth goal comes obviously, um, it's stoppage time. Bournemouth knows it's The delights. They're down to 10 men. Um, due to the fact that they had no more subs. We didn't even get to the red card. I'm sick of talking about VAR on this podcast every episode. Uh, <laughs> so I kind of skipped over it on purpose. I'll get your opinion on it quickly before we get off this topic. But um, Bournemouth had no more subs. They had an injured player. They go down to 10 men. We don't stop attacking, which is I love. And Joe Gomez puts in a ball that would make Trent proud, uh, that Darwin runs on to. Still not a hundred percent sure what Darwin was trying to do by like throwing himself and sliding feet first at it. I I can tell he's actually trying to get it with the outside part of his boot. But again, I don't care because he made the run one. Most importantly, he's kept his freaking seven foot ass on side. Um, the fact that Liverpool had zero on sides for the entire match was, you know, just a shocking break in the world. But that fourth goal, more about Darwin's confidence being there to finish that, and if he doesn't make the first one, does that one probably you know hit the corner flag? Or is this really about Joe Gomez getting credit for that ball in because it is a peach of a ball that he sends in? Yeah,
1: I, I, I love, like, you know, it's crazy to think we still have fullbacks Racking up assists in this match when they're Bradley and Gomez, but uh, right. we'll take it. Right, it's a far cry from Trent and Robbo's, uh assist race. Um No, it's good. I think you know. I, I I guess when I look at that, I think that that's like just the Nunez goal. Like that last goal is just the most Darwin goal ever, right? I mean, it's just like uh all limbs everywhere, and it goes in. And you take you take what you can with Nunez. You know, like I think you know, like. I, I keep seeing all these, all these Liverpool greats making comments about Nunez, both good and bad, right? And I think at the end of the day, when we look at 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 Nunez, I think what we just have to embrace is the fact that, like, look, like, is he the most clinical? No. Would you like to see him score more? Yes. Is he going to miss sitters in critical times in tight games? Yeah. But you know what he is? He's a constant problem. He if you're if you're setting up to defend Liverpool, he is a constant, he's a constant menace that you have to have some sort of solve for or an attempt to solve for. And I think that is as important as any of those other things that we talk about, any of those other metrics when we talk about the fact that he doesn't, you know, he's not scoring enough. It's like he's not a one dimensional player. It's not like you just have to rely on his goals. He creates for other people. He has relatively good vision. He has decent passing range for somebody his size and position. But the bottom line is that he's he's eating up space and giving room for other players and creating opportunities. So like we take these two goal games, right? But like I think we need to look more at these games where he doesn't he doesn't score and he's had chances in and, and recognize that there's an impact outside of just a box score, right? And I, I think that's what he does bring, bring here. And so, you know, I love seeing him get these goals, and I don't care how ugly they are, because like, I feel like he's either going to score worldly or it's going to be, it's going to be something incredibly ugly going in.
0: Yeah, and well, and I think to your point too. I think last year, right, he would score the worldly or the ugly goal. It didn't even matter. But then he would also run around like a chicken with his head cut off, and he'd right. press at the wrong time. You know, I I don't know if it was Robbie Earl or Musto. One of them talked after the match and they were talking about him and they were like, and they like, they giggled like when they said his name and they're like, of course he like splits the supporters. He's like, he probably splits the manager, but you know what? He never splits. Like you never question whether he's working hard. And he's like, you know, he's like, "I, I remember he's like, I wrote it down. Why is he five yards outside of his own like penalty box? He's like, but then he's winning a ball back off of a guy in a tough spot. And he's like, he's like, you don't see many number nines. You don't see many $90 million players that run back and, and lose a ball and then double back as fast as they can to win it back. And, you know, he does care. He cares how he's thought of. And look, you know, the stats going all over the place, right? First player in the Premier League this year to record 10 goals and 10 assists in all competitions. The first of any player, like, and he's gotten little minutes at times like this is the thing that like people are not even giving him credit we're saying he does so much more than the box score because you can get lost in his misses and his close percentage yet his box score is still really good his return since he got to this club is outstanding for a player who's played less than 50 matches for the club but because you know we've always said the price tag could be coming in the same summer as holland you know, the fact that we were going to change our formation. Ultimately, we're still figuring out the best Darwin, whether it's on the left. For me, what's really great is is this small period without Mo is starting to show that he can do it playing with Jota and he can do it playing with Gakpo. He can be successful with Diaz. And I think that will only give him more confidence because there was getting to that point where it was almost like Klopp was keeping him and Mo together at all times yeah, so that they would play little one-two football together. And it felt like it was getting a little over the top. Well, speaking of Mo, um, for anyone who hasn't been paying attention to AFCON, lives under a rock, or hasn't watched any of the Sky is Falling reports on Twitter and Facebook, um, Mo Salah was injured. Uh, During the second match of the group stages, he was taken off the pitch, uh, originally for precautionary reasons. It was initially announced he would miss two matches in the AFCON. Um, Then there were some mixed reports that he might be coming back to England for rehab, but would be going back to AFCON when healthy, until his agent dropped a bomb today, announcing that he would be out for 21 to 28 days. And not two games, and therefore would be coming back to Liverpool. So, first, Paul, do you blame it on the federations for having in season tournaments, the world of football for playing way too many damn matches? Um, or is it just down to just bad luck that a guy got hurt and this could have happened if he was playing in the League Cup game against Fulham? Where do you well, stand with the injury and why? It, I mean, it certainly could have happened during Fulham, but I think the the fact of the matter is that none
1: of these injuries are happening if they're not playing just insane amounts of football year round, right? right? So I don't. I think I think there's multiple things here. I don't love the in season tournaments. I also don't love the fact that like the FA and all these governing bodies are not giving international teams room for these comps either. Do you know what I mean? like they're working with what they can get here so you can I can't blame them but so much when they're just trying to get a piece of of this and, and you know like these internationals like you know I I've, I've always been critical of international football just because I don't t- watch a ton of it because I'm I'm more of a club guy but these are massively important to these countries like massively important to these players like so like I recognize the fact that not everybody's me and I recognize the fact that these are like Hugely important matches, especially for a situation like Egypt, who has a generational talent that they're never likely to see again. And this is as likely, you know, this is as likely uh, like as good an Egypt team as, as as you could possibly see. And so, when you're riding that, and your your guy, your talisman, your you know your your legend for your country goes down, I mean, that's really frustrating for them. And uh, obviously it is tough for Liverpool. We're in a title race. So, um, but I'm not, I'm not going to be small enough and pretend like, like I I get kind of like, I got a little bit like irritated just reading the comments about how people were like, Oh, this is why we don't need these stupid tournaments, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I, 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 I'm not going to pretend to be small enough to think that this revolves around Liverpool football because it's about much more than that. And like, I think in fairness to the players and to these countries, we've just got to find a way it's not going to happen because there's too much money involved, but like these things need to be scaled back or these are going to just continue to be issues and you're never going to get to see your full, your full squad potential in these internationals. And, and,
0: and that's to me, sort of the shame of the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there, there can't, there's too much spoke for there not to be fire. When you look at all these big clubs and you look at the number and it's not just the big clubs. There are injuries all across all of European football, but predominantly right now, the big clubs are being hurt are being hit across all the European leagues with massive numbers of injuries, mainly muscle injuries because these guys mainly play for the biggest clubs play for their countries. And those players are all the guys out on international duties that all played in the winter world cup and had back-to-back years of qualifying and had a Euro That was right before it. And now they're going to have another Euro coming off it on the end of this year. And that mid-season World Cup really, really wreaked havoc. And I think we're seeing it this year with teams like Newcastle having eight, nine guys missing. I mean, we had almost an entire side missing that wasn't available for selection against Bournemouth. Look at Arsenal's uh, list of injured players. City's had times this year, you know much as we like to laugh at United, United has been decimated with injuries and problems and it's all the same stuff. So I look at this and I think to myself, yeah, they're playing way too many matches, way too many matches, but I'm with you. I'm not going to begrudge them because they can't play a summer tournament. They can't play a tournament in Africa in the summer. Like they have a right to have a continental tournament, just like Europe does. And these same people that make these comments, I'd, I'd love to know how they'd feel if the English players weren't allowed to play in a competition to represent England that was playing against the best across Europe. They'd all lose their minds, except for the ones that take the worst Gauss, not England approach, and I get it. But for the ones who root for England, it would be no different, or Italy, or Germany, or any of these other countries. So I don't get that part of it. So when it comes to Salah now, now that he's back, now that we know he's done with this tournament, and it looks like we'll be missing him, you know, for a good month's time, which would take us right about into where the League Cup final is if we are able to secure uh, progression to Wembley. How big of a loss is this for us? You know, we have matches, that I think, against Chelsea and Arsenal during that time. Um, is this the type of injury that you think probably puts us behind the eight ball and probably may end the league title run here, Paul? What what does Liverpool have to do to convince you they're still in this thing during this period Mo's gone? Uh, they don't have to do anything because, I mean, I think historically
1: we fared pretty well when he's out. Um is it a is it a big, big loss? Absolutely. You know, no doubt about it. By Bar none, our best player from a talent standpoint, uh, arguably the best player in the world. If I I, I mean, I would argue I, I'd take Mo up against just about anybody right now. Um, so yeah, massive, right? Uh, I said this earlier and I kind of stand by this. Like I think this is one of those things that like it in <laughs> I see this knowing full well that I'm riding a wave of euphoria from a sports standpoint that probably like shades this a little bit for me, considering the fact that like I'm having the year I'm having with uh, Michigan and Detroit football. But for me, like this does not cause me to panic because when I look at this side, we talked about the fact that it's very, very likely that Mo moves on after this year. So when I look at it, this manager has to figure out how to play this side and what its identity is without Mo. So like in a lot of ways, I think this helps force the hand because if Mo's available in any capacity, he's being selected no matter what. I think in, in a lot of ways, this really forces him to look at Diaz, Gakpo, Joda, um, and Nunez and really figure out how those four play best together situationally and what that looks like for this team from an attacking standpoint. So I, I would never wish this injury on Mo, obviously, and I would, I would never not want Mo in this side ever, but I'm going to look at this glass half full and say like this is a really, really good opportunity from a position of strength to assess the four players that are going to be key from an offensive standpoint going into a year where
0: we likely won't have Mo
1: and that is a good thing, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel the same way. I will just take a few people here in the comments. You know, I, I'm getting a lot of uh, Salah, was, Salah was going to miss Chelsea and Arsenal either way. Salah was going to be gone regardless. Salah would have been gone regardless had Egypt made it back to the finals again. Egypt just barely got out of the group stage with three draws. So there's no guarantee they're winning their first knockout match next Saturday, which meant he would have been back for the Chelsea match or maybe the Arsenal match the following weekend. So there's just as good of a chance. And if this were a one, two-week injury and Egypt were eliminated, he'd be back. Either way, I'd rather the guy coming back healthy than out for 21 to 28 days, which all of us know means he's probably taking longer than that to come back. The question was really how will we fare with Mo being gone and the fact that he is injured? Because there is still the coming back from the injury. And the one thing we've never had to deal with really at Liverpool is a Mo Salah that doesn't feel 100% confident about his body. Because when he hasn't, he hasn't had to play. He has been unquestionably the most consistently healthy, marquee athlete I have ever watched. As long as I remember watching this sport at this high level, like I can't remember another player that's played this long without having these types of injuries, obviously had the shoulder, these are, you know, more freakish injuries. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they do. Let's move over to the match on Wednesday. We have, uh, the league cup, obviously second leg, Taking on Fulham. Uh, we go into that obviously with the lead. Um, Paul, how seriously do you think they take it? What do you expect from rotation from this weekend's lineup, if any? And if you were Jurgen Klopp, how would you being would you be approaching this match on Wednesday afternoon? God, I think you gotta go pretty strong here.
1: I mean, the only thing I could see is maybe maybe Kwanzaa gets a start here, right? Maybe we see Kwanzaa here. Um, but I think you gotta go fairly strong here. Um and I, I think they'll go for it. I, I just I'm trying to think of what rotational pieces I could see. I mean, do, I don't know if Jones is gonna start. I don't know. I haven't heard an update on the, the hamstring issue that he seemed
0: like he had going off. So um I figured it would be Graven Birch. Um yeah, yeah, Graven Birch, Elliot, and and McAllister. Yeah. In the midfield. And then, you know, I do think someone uh Brian Shelton said he thinks Kelleher will start. I do think Kelleher will get this start. Um and then you know, would you go Kanate and in, in Virgil? Would you would you consider Gomez at right? At, at one of the center backs, but maybe you go Kanate and or Virgil and Kwanzaa and then I don't think he has enough
1: faith in I don't know if he has enough faith in the kids to go without Gomez at left back. That's my only thing. Um so I still I, I don't know if he's gonna run Kanate out there again either. Like Maybe you will. I, I, for some reason, I just feel like it could, we're going to see Quan's out there. Um, but I do think he goes pretty strong. Um, Fulham's, a, I don't, uh, Fulham's a team that, like, I feel like they always punch above their weight when they play us. I feel like they always play us tighter than, like, they should. Um, uh, you know, my, my hatred for, Pereira is well-documented. Like, there's just nothing about Fulham that I like, including that, like, rickety-ass, like, 4,000-seat historic venue. I know, and it. it's probably got to be – I know Craven Cottage has got to be just, like, one of the coolest places to go, but, like,
0: because it's Fulham, I hate it. I uh, I I do think they'll go pretty strong. Up top, I think that we'll probably see Gakpo start. Um, You know, Diaz – got taken off early. So maybe it's Diaz and Gakpo. And you know, maybe you go maybe you give Nunez a rest from the start and you have Nunez to come in and just kind of run at them and you start Jota and you hope you put your poacher out early. Um you know I think it's interesting because it's not like we have to play it's not like we're playing Wednesday and then we have to play Saturday in the league against City. You know we have it's Wednesday, Sunday, and it's Norwich at home. And I know it's an FA Cup, and and we'll I think you'll see heavy rotation for that match. And that makes me wonder like, could we get Kanate and Virgil? And then literally you're playing Bradley, Owen Beck, and Kwanzaa and Gomez against <laughs> literally against Norwich and you're you're giving both Virgil and Kanate the whole week off, you know, because then you got to come right back and play Tuesday. It's not like you have a big break between the FA Cup and Chelsea. So it's gonna be interesting to see if you were Klopp, would you go with Kelleher on Wednesday or would you start Allison? I mean he's given Kelleher just about all of these matches outside of that one one he gave to to allison because he didn't want him to be sitting too long in between starts uh
1: i probably would give Kelleher the fa cup and be moving on but like we know that klopp doesn't do that and so like he'll probably get it all the way through the final just like he did uh on the last one so i imagine he'll start i it's not what i would do but
0: yeah, I I don't know if I could start I don't know if I'd start them in the final, especially if it ends up being Chelsea that we play. And I understand Middlesbrough looks like a better side than Chelsea right now, and yada yada yada. At times Chelsea's look pretty good, and every once in a while Chelsea figures it out and they usually put in a good performance when they get themselves to a final. You know, I can think of three or four mediocre Chelsea teams that made it to an FA Cup final and gave City a run for their money or you know, beat Arsenal that year, that Arsenal was a much better side on the day. Um, Plus it would be a classic Chelsea thing to do, right? Like just have like a a finished 12th season, make it be miserable and dire and still like go and win the League Cup so their supporters can claim it was a good year or something like that. So I'll get you out of here, I guess, on this. Um, Give me your prediction for Wednesday and tell me how you think the match will be won uh i'll go two nil uh we score early
1: it's competitive throughout it feels like we're going to concede a late equalizer and then we score a scrappy one at the end to make it comfortable with like in it close to injury time
0: i like it um I honestly feel it's like it's a weird one for me. I think it's a one of two ways. I think if we were to score first, they could go like Fulham did last year against United when they were leading all match in the FA Cup and then Mitrovic lost his mind and they had four guys sent off and they lost by three. Like I I could see if we scored early, I could see them just going all Fulham and down tools and we win 4-0 and we win the thing 5-1 or 6-1 on aggregate, something like that. If they were to score first and level the playing field, I could see it getting a little dicey for us at times because I don't, I don't know exactly how much we're going to have available from the bench to change the match if we have to. So I think it's really important that Klopp gets the starting lineup, right? I think it's really important that they take it seriously. And, you know, to your point, I think it's really important that they win this match because The only thing worse than playing the extra five matches it takes to get to the second leg of the league cup semifinals is to lose it and not go get a chance to win a trophy. If you're going to play this many games and this many midweek matches and affect other matches and scheduling and player injuries and all that. At this point, when you get this far, it's no longer the Mickey mouse cup. It's a cup where they give you a winner's medal and they let you put it on the wall. Um, So I will say we do advance so I'll give you the bonus question here. I'll give you two bonus questions here first. Will it be Chelsea or Middlesbrough that we're playing with Middlesbrough leading one nothing going to Stamford bridge hanging on to a lead.
1: Oh, I'm gonna go ahead. I think Chelsea figures out a way to get this done, and we have another one of those. I think we get it done, and I think we end up having another one of those. Just dog, dog, it's ugly, terrible, fucking gutter. Yeah, just it's in the gutter, it. just
0: slugging it. Yeah, disgusting game. Yeah, yeah, great. Can't wait for that. Hope uh, you can't right. wait till you get that one right. And uh, I'll get your second. Uh, Your second one that I get you out of here on your prediction. Which one of you will be crying in your soup? Uh come next Monday night? Uh you you will you be celebrating your first ever trip to a Super Bowl with your Detroit Lions, or will this be a stepping stone year? Um and Dan Campbell's hopefully laying the foundation for the opportunity for your young lions to take the big step forward cuz we all know the NFL is is a not for long league right like it, nothing is yeah. guaranteed one year to the next it's well like i think what's wild
1: team. i think what's wild about this lions team uh, i mean the culture is like the obvious thing right he like the culture's completely changed in one of the worst organizations in sports it's been a historically bad we've never done our our players right. We've never had a coach that was invested in the city like some of our star players were. So I, it feels like the culture has changed. I, I think when I look at this team from a roster standpoint, the roster's still really young. So it's exciting is it? it feels like the beginning. Um, it, and so, like, I, I honestly thought we'd get bounced in the first round. I didn't think our defensive secondary was good enough. I still don't. Um, I hope it's a competitive game. Um, San Francisco is unbelievable. I, I think I think we got a shot if Debo's hurt. I think if Debo plays, it's gonna be a long day. And I think I, I think I, I, I don't like our chances. I, I think we probably lose that game. I think it'll I think it'll be competitive, but I, I don't see us pulling that one out unless Debo's injured. We make them a little bit more one dimensional. I think that's the that that is the way. But this Detroit team can score with anybody though. And they can score with anybody, and we've, gotten, we've got turnovers at critical times. And if you can do that, you can beat anybody.
0: I do think that you can score with anyone in the league. Um, in some weird ways, I almost feel like you have a better chance going on the road and beating San Francisco in a weird, wacky way by being the underdog and using house money and punching above your weight than maybe having to host the game against Green Bay and a divisional rival that like, oh, no. I could have seen. It would have been squeaky bum time from the moment the kickoff happened even for the people in the crowd. Cause they were like, you finally get us here, you bastards. And there's a chance we're going to lose to a seven seed. And like oh, that God. kid becomes a star and like yeah. all that and the whole Thanksgiving day thing. Yeah. So it almost was a little bit of a relief. I agree with you. I think if Debo is playing and he's healthy, you're in real trouble because he makes everything happen there and makes, he makes, you know, you know Ayuk, their second option, and Kittle third, and all these different things. And McCaffrey goes down. You could see the difference with how Green Bay defended once they he wasn't on uh, the field. So it'll be interesting. We only talk about it because we know Tmucin is a big Niners fan. Paul obviously is a big Lions fan, and I'm a big fan of losing. So um, as we like to say, please. Get on out to the YouTube page if you haven't already. What's wrong with you and what are you waiting for? Get out there and um, subscribe to the page today. Go ahead and make sure, let us know any of your feedback or comments. We are also on YouTube, Instagram, uh, TikTok and X. So we are all of the socials, all of the medias. But if you aren't on the YouTube channel, that is the easiest way to get our content, all of our live programs all of our recorded shows as well as many of our shorts and reels so for myself and bickler we want to thank you as always for watching for your comments and all the interaction we will be back Uh, Later this week, Wednesday, we will have some form of programming, most likely the morning coffee show, and then uh, maybe a post-match recap uh, in the afternoon after the League Cup final. And then, of course, Thursday, we will be back with both the Thursday podcast, the fantasy show, Friday morning coffee brought to you by Reckless Coffee. And we will all be back to do this all over again. So next week should be the three of us back together. Uh, Until then... I hope you all have a great week and we will see you soon.